psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. <laughs> Ian just posted this. I don't know if you saw it on Instagram. Andy King referred, revealed more details about the infamous fire Festival oral sex scenario and told Andy Cohen that he did mouth exercises when he was on his way. <laughs> was he worried? Oh. oh, Lord. Stretch it out. You know he was thinking about all the times he's gotten one and was <laughs> like, man, that seems like so much work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lordy. <sighs> Goodness gracious. That's hilarious. <sighs> Hello. Man. Hi. What up? Oh, what you up? know, just chilling. No. <laughs> okay. Goodness. I brought in a coffee cup because I've forgotten all week. Mm-hmm. It's Thursday. Is it Thursday? Yeah. And I finally remembered, and then I just made coffee in the work cup. <laughs> like the community cup. The one that you didn't bring in today. Yeah, the one that I did not bring in today. Hmm. But I'm not eating. While recording. I'm not having a sparkling water. I did have one a few minutes ago, though. <laughs> did you? No burps today. No no munching. No I mean, belches. <clears throat> can't make any promises about the belches. It's just what we do. <laughs> so we are. Uh, sometimes I forget that I'm... Because in the mornings, especially, it can be pretty quiet. And, like, if... Um, Mark isn't here and mm-hmm. it's just me and you. I will forget that, like, you're here. And I'll just let out one of those, like, really long, like, yeah. I'm just milking the fuck out of it. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, hey. And then you, you, hear, care. you hear me snicker a little. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. Uh, I don't care. Okay. So I ordered some stuff from Ikea. Yeah. Um, But I had it sent to my home. Do you think I should have it sent here? I was thinking I don't want to have to lug it home, even though it's only four blocks. But I won't be there. It'll be delivered on Monday. Okay, but also, will they take it upstairs and put it outside your door? Or are they going to, where are they going to put it? Oh, I don't know. I I mean, I'd imagine they take it upstairs and put it outside your door, but. Right. I don't really know. I don't really know what email address that ordered from. <laughs> anyway. Uh. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, I love that you just eye fucked me the whole time you did that. <laughs> like, Here it comes. God. Oh, oh man. Lord. This is off air with Emily and Patro. Welcome back. Obviously it is. Hello. <laughs> if you didn't, couldn't figure it out already. 100% off air. Oof. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, we're a true crime podcast. Yep. We're obnoxious. Yep. And that's it. That's basically that's about all it. we have going for <laughs> us. Um, do you have plans for lunch today? I do not. Can we go get lunch? Yeah, where okay. are we going? Um... I don't know. Do you want to go to a place that we have to pay for or a place we don't? Okay. Negative Ghost Rider. Yes, ma'am. I also, but while we're out, I have to drop off a flash drive at Quick Sign so we can get our Women's Expo stuff printed. Just all right. FYI. Okay. All right. I don't have anything to talk about. You don't? No, I don't think so. Um, Let's see. What did I do? Let's say I made tacos yesterday, they Mm. were really good. I don't smell like onions anymore. I think it might have been my armpits. Oh. (laughs) When I was like, man, I still smell like onions from last night. Mm." (laughs) A little secret. One time when I was still living in my apartment, I made 
homemade French onion soup, mm. and I made it in the crock pot, so it had to simmer all night long. And I put it in, and then the next morning I woke up and my entire apartment smelled like <laughs> onions <laughs> for like two days. It was great. Okay, <laughs> so I make this stuff called chicken in a pot. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the recipe came from. My mom, my birth mom, I think, and then my mom would make it, and it was like I was always a picky kid, but I would eat this. And it was, like, actually just chicken. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she's eating something without ketchup. It's a miracle. Yeah. Um, it's just chicken and, like, salt and pepper and water. It must have been, like, you know, we were poor, so it was, like, a cheap meal. It was, right. like, we got we got some chicken from your, your grandma, so we're going to have chicken in a pot. Um, and it was, like, basil, but then mm. two onions cut in half at the bottom. Okay. So I made it a lot when my kids were young because it's just— it's basically like— It's cheap and easy. It's cheap and easy, and it tastes like a rotisserie chicken, kind of. You yeah. know what I mean? So you eat it. Um, and I love it. And it makes the onions all soft, and you can just like— mm-hmm. I love onions. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Um, and um, it smells so bad by the end of the day, <laughs> like of onions, yeah. <laughs> that one day my daughter comes home from the school bus, and it's she's fourth grade, okay? So nine years old, ten years old. And the window is cracked open just a little bit because it's finally getting warm. And it was one of those, like, 50-degree days after being, like, negative 10. And you're like, it's warm. So I cracked open a window. I heard her yell from the sidewalk through the cracked window, I don't want chicken in a pot for dinner. (laughs) Well. Whatever. That's what you're getting, dude. And it was delicious. So suck it. That's funny. Anyway, enjoy Um, I okay, so first off, mm-hmm. I figured out how to properly bake chicken. Oh, over the tell weekend. me. Like, you have to, I don't remember the term of it, but you have to like brine it, I think. But so I was reading because mm-hmm. I was like, I made chicken case enchiladas and mm-hmm. that chicken and broccoli stuffing bake thing. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want – I always have the problem of, like, if I bake chicken, it ends up, like, kind of rubbery and just bleh. And, yeah. like, bland and just not I not anything special. Ba- overbake it. It's always dry, but that's what I like. I yeah. guess I just like to chew it. It's like chicken jerky. <laughs> and <laughs> I figure – I, like, was researching it, like, because I also forgot how long you have to bake chicken for. My God, I love it. And you. <laughs> um, so I was re- – I looked it up, and this – it was, like, easy baked chicken, and it looked good on the picture. So I was like, oh, I'll just read this. Mm-hmm. So – I had, we, you put it in lukewarm salt water for like 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you put it on your tray and then you brush it with some butter. And then you sprinkle on whatever spices you're using. Mm-hmm. And then you bake it. And it was the best chicken I have ever made in my really? life. Because it was still, it was like, it was juicy. It was juicy. I was going to say it was And it had a lot of flavor, but not. I just use like standard spices. I didn't do anything yeah. crazy because I was putting it in two completely opposite dishes. Right, so I was right. like, we'll just do like a basic. I think it was like paprika and salt and pepper was all I did. Mm-hmm. And garlic powder, I think. And it was, I mean, it was really good. I was like, oh. So and then you the made code. then you made enchiladas with it? Yeah. So I used half the chicken to make enchiladas. Uh-huh. And then I put too much chili powder in there because they were real spicy. <laughs> and then I made a my mom used to make it a chicken broccoli stuffing casserole. That sounds so it's, amazing. It's chicken and broccoli and stuffing all mixed together with mm-hmm. a can of soup. Is there yeah. soup in there? Yeah. Um it's it calls for broccoli and cheese soup and 
cream of mushroom, but I only I didn't have any cream of mushroom. I had two cans of broccoli and cheese, so I just used double Hell the broccoli yeah. and cheese and like shredded cheese in there too, and mm-hmm. you just literally mix it all together and bake it. That and sounds it was really great. Good. Yeah, I want that. And we've been eating those two for like uh, we've had them all week long. Like yeah. that's been our dinner for the past week. So I mean, I'll be having tacos for dinner tonight. But yeah. ooh, that sounds good though. I want that. It was it, it was really easy too. It was just like you literally. You cook the broccoli, which mm-hmm. I just used the steam packs. Like right. I it. So I just threw those in the microwave as I was getting everything else together, and you just mix it all together and then mush it in a casserole pan and then bake it for 30 minutes. That sounds great. Yeah. I want to do that. Oh, excuse me. All right, me. that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that next week, and I'll just eat it. Yeah. And by, like, Thursday morning when I'm faced with the task of eating it again for, like, the fourth day in a row, we'll see if I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing is, is I have Christopher to share it with, so I don't have to eat yeah. it all myself, which I mean, I really like it, so I would, but mm-hmm. I'd be that same way, like, towards the end, I'd be like, mm, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right. I so, like yeah. that. You gave me a recipe to try. I did. I don't know where, I don't know, because obviously my mom used to make it, so I mm-hmm. knew I knew it was a thing, but I don't know where it, like, popped into my head over the weekend. Right. Where it was like, oh, you know what I'm going to make? And it, it didn't even pop up in my head over the weekend. It popped in my head after I was finished making enchiladas and I had extra chicken. I was like, what am I going to make? Hmm, I'm going to make this. How do I make this? I have no idea where it came from, but it was like, obviously I needed it. Oh, my gosh. So when I make enchiladas, um, I, like, I have this, like, generic fajita mm-hmm. recipe seasoning stuff that I mix. And mm-hmm. I use it for, like, all my taco stuff. Unless I'm just buying a packet and I'm being lazy or whatever. Yeah. Um. Like, I I put it in the crock pot mm-hmm. every time, like just a chicken breast or two, and I put it in the crock pot, and then it's all shredded up, and then I can just stuff it. So did you have to, like, did you bake chicken breasts and then shred it or a whole chicken or? I baked, like, half of a bag of frozen chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I use chicken tenderloins, not chicken breasts. Okay. Generally, essentially the same thing, I think. Basically. I mean. It tastes the same. It tastes like chicken. Right. <laughs> um, and then, so I, I baked those because it calls for cooked chicken. Uh-huh. And then I didn't shred it. I just chopped it. Okay. And then I did it. The enchilada recipe I use is it's a can of cream of chicken soup, um, Spices. <laughs> um, and I threw in I threw in some green chili peppers, mm-hmm. some green chilies. And in mine, I threw in tomatoes. Christopher doesn't like tomatoes, so I mm-hmm. made a couple extra with tomatoes. And I think, and it's sour cream. And I think that's it. Okay, so those are definitely mix, different than like. Yeah, and then you mix it all together and then load your tortillas up with, mm-hmm. with everything. And then you put them in, the, in a casserole dish and mm-hmm. bake them. Okay. And then I made extra. No red enchilada sauce goes on it? No, not in that one. Okay. Not in the one that I made. This is just like a different. That sounds good. Yeah, because yeah. it, it made it kind of red with the chili powder mm-hmm. that I used. Um, okay. But I made ex- I made an extra batch of the filling mm-hmm. because I overfilled my tortillas. I like my like minimal tortilla and maximum filling. Gotcha. And I overfilled them, and I didn't have any put on top. So I just like, mm, we'll just make more. <laughs> so I made more <laughs> and uh, put it in, and it was they're really they turned out really really good. Nice. Okay. I usually just make like the classic corn tortillas and 
red sauce and yeah, yeah, like yeah. the white cheese. I have cheese. a my aunt. I got her enchilada recipe because mm-hmm. when I was I used to go and stay with them all the time, but. She makes really good enchiladas, but she makes verde enchiladas, so with mm. the green sauce instead mm-hmm. of the red sauce. And I tried that the last time I made enchiladas, which has been, I don't freaking know how long <laughs> it's been. but And they turned out good, but they didn't turn out like Aunt Jen's enchiladas. So gotcha. it was kind of like, mm. And yeah. I was like, I pulled out that recipe because I was just going to remake them. Right. And I found, I think, finding the baked chicken mm. thing was like, I was like, let's see what other, and then it was just kind of, so I kind of like combined the two recipes, like adding in the chili peppers. and I like that. It's like, it's now good. it's uh, it's Aunt Emily's recipe. Yep. Oh, shit. I just aged your brother. It's okay. I'm sorry. But that's, you that's aged what it him will hard be. too. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's going to be eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun. It was a good, I like, like that. We got home, so we went and visited my dad this weekend, and we got home, and I had I had thawed chicken, like, Thursday night because mm-hmm. I was going to make it, but then I think we did something. We had something else for dinner on Friday night or something, and then, I, obviously, we left. Right. And then I was like, well, shit, I gotta cook. I've got to cook. Like, we're having chicken for dinner yeah. tonight regardless of what it is because I've got to cook it. Yes. And I was just like, mm, enchiladas sound good, so let's make enchiladas. And it was just, I like know. that. I do. Built up for there. So I spent, we got home. We went to the grocery store on the way home Mm because we had some other stuff we needed to get to. And then we got home and I spent the rest of the evening in the kitchen cooking. And I was just like, this is great. This is awesome. This is great. I love you. You're so cute. Yeah. Um, No, I guess I made, I wanted to make um, chicken tacos, but I had an issue at Walmart yesterday. So (laughs) it took me forever. And we won't go into that East Side Walmart. But the West Side Walmart saved my life, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, Glinda at the East Side or the West Side Walmart. What's up? Shout out to Glinda. I obviously, love your name. I mean, right? Of course, she was going to be perfect and wonderful. Glinda the Good Wit. Yeah. So um, I ended up making just like ground beef tacos, and they were fine. Um, but I did make cilantro lime rice, and I love Ooh, that. Yes. Oh my gosh, so, so good. good. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> and I cleaned the nasty hair out of my uh, bathtub. Oh, look at you go. I have to do that so often. I do too. We So we have like oh. a little stopper on the top. Yeah. That's like, it's got real tiny holes, you know? Yes. And at least like, it's like once a week we have, we pull out, I pull out a clump of hair and put it in the trash can because it yeah. just, I mean, obviously it starts to clog the drain. It's like. I have lived there three stupid. months, three months, mm-hmm. and um, I've cleaned it out probably five times. And last night, I was like, is this wad of hair ever going to stop being, like, is it ever going to end? Yeah. It was just pulling and, and going and going. And, going. and I was like, I had to because in my shower, it was kind of like stopping up the water. Yeah, and I was so like, you were standing in it. I was like, who lives here? I hate it because I'm like, I get really grossed out by it. And Christopher's like, it's your hair. I I'm know. like, I know. I recognize that, but it's gross. It's gross, And it's though. also kind of slimy. And it I don't slimy. like slimy things. I don't like slimy and I don't like being sticky. Ooh, hate it. Oh, man. I'm like, no. Are you going to have kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but like, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. Once they get to a certain age, then their slimy stickiness gets gross again. Yeah. <laughs> My kids have reached that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're fine when it's really bad. So you're good. I'll be okay regardless. Yeah. 
What I'm not looking forward to is vomit. Ooh. I do not like vomit. I don't even like cleaning up my own. Not that I vomit very often, knock on wood. But I, I hope I'm, I hope they have Christopher's like reflex because he, he he's like quick and he can get to where he need like he can get to where he needs to go right. I don't if it's coming it's coming and it's coming now really yeah and Ooh, no I get to where I need to go yeah and yeah I try really hard but sometimes it doesn't happen I can just like feel it and I'm like mm, all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like okay I'm, I'm just gonna go be where I need to be even if it's like 20 minutes later I know that it's coming yeah no. and I just gotta go Mine, like, I have, like, a 15-second window to get oh from my <laughs> from here to wherever I need to be. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah, it's not—I I hope they get Christopher's thing so I I can reduce the amount of vomit that I yeah, actually homie. have to encounter. Oh, god! I'm good with, like, they're there. I love you. You'll be you can, all right. It's okay. Blah, blah, it's right. okay. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's the fact of, like, You're cleaning it up. You're not trying to up. clean any chunks out of the carpet. No. Got you. I'm not either, but mm. I'm also going to be that mom mm. that's like, I gave birth to these children. You can clean up their vomit. <laughs> Just FYI, oh my babe. Gosh, I love that. Yes. Oh, <sighs> man. No. Good. I love that. So we'll see. All right. In nine months. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I will run around in a circle right now. I Look, do that I got to... so excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see on the, my... The spikes on our levels just went, yeah. woo! <laughs> oh, man. I do that to Christopher sometimes. Oh, my it's God. It's really funny. <laughs> I did it to my mom. I think it was, like, Christmas time. I did it to my mom. Oh. And she's, like, she, like, choked on her water. She's, like, oh, oh. Is she ready? <laughs> no. 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 I don't know that I'll ever be ready. I think I think once it happens, she'll be like it'll be like a light switch. Yeah, like it's just gonna she'll be absolutely ready. But mm-hmm. right now she's like now. Yeah, now don't do that yet. I'm like mom, it's timeish for you. You had kids when you you had me when you were 21. She like that's gosh me and your mom the, and you and Amelia. I know totally the, weird. Um, like when I was in high school and like graduated and all mm-hmm. that stuff. She like her the whole thing was like. She got married at 19 and had me at 21. She's like, don't get married at 19. Don't get married at 19. Mm-hmm. So I was like, made it to 19, wasn't married. Don't get pregnant that early. Don't do right. this. I made it to 21. I was like, as long as I don't get pregnant before my 21st birthday. <laughs> Solid. I'm 24 now without a kid or I'm not married either. It's time. And so I've done it. I've already done it, mom. We made it this far. Right. You're all set. <laughs> God. It'll oh, happen man. when it happens. FYI. Yeah, it will. Claudia. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get grounded. She's going to text me and be like, you're grounded. I love that. She'll text you a middle finger emoji. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what else is new? The way you said Claudia. Claudia. Damn. I love it. <laughs> do you have a good story this week? I do. You don't have any papers with you. They're over here. I was like. They're back here. I just left them in Are they here. in your brain? No. God, No. <laughs> no. I can't hold anything in my brain. I've kind of got a long story this week compared to, I mean, it's a long story compared to the last week's, especially compared last to last week. week. Last week was a page and a paragraph. Oh my gosh. This time I think I'm at seven or eight pages. Ooh, girl, get it. Hefty story. Is it my turn to go first? You went first last time. I think it's oh, your turn. Yes. Okay. All right. Let me, um, 
because if my e- I had my email up, but if I get a new one, it'll read it and not pay attention to what you're saying. Okay, so I, I, <laughs> I minimized it. I get that. Yeah, um, I'm turning this page over. Do you want to know what I'm talking about first, or do you want to wait a few minutes? Do you want to do you want an element of surprise me? Is it one I'll be surprised at? I think I'm just gonna tell you because I think you'll be surprised regardless of how you find out. Okay, tell me. So we're gonna talk about Jonestown. <gasps> oh shit! <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Amelia has a patch that says Kool-Aid Man on it, and it's... I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Okay. On May 13th, 1931, World War I veteran James Thurman Jones and his wife Lynetta Putnam welcomed baby boy Jim Jones into the world in rural Crete, Indiana. Three years later, the family moved to Lynn, Indiana due to the Great Depression. As Jones grew up, he was a big reader, studying Stalin, Marx, Mao, Gandhi, and Hitler, taking note of the strengths and weaknesses of each. He also developed a strong a strong interest in religion, and he had a hard time making friends. Childhood acquaintances recalled him being a really weird kid that was obsessed with religion and death. They alleged that he would frequently hold funerals for small animals on his parents' property and that he had stabbed a cat to death. Ooh. Yeah. Everything except for the cat stabbing, I was like... Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> That's where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Please don't stab a cat. Yeah. Uh, Jones had a childhood friend that Jones and a childhood friend claimed that Jones's father was associated with the Ku Klux Klan, which had gained momentum during the Depression, especially in Indiana. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Jones and his father would disagree when it came to race, and he didn't speak to his father for many years after his father wouldn't let one of Jones's African-American friends into the house. Jones' parents eventually separated, and Jones moved with his mother to Richmond, Indiana. In December of 1948, Jones graduated from Richmond High School early with honors. So he's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, as we'll find out. Smart and manipulative. Whenever someone says Richmond, Indiana, <clears throat> um, what is the, ho- like, is it Holiday World that's in Richmond? I think so. I don't know. There was an old commercial. No, Holiday World's in Santa Claus. Okay. Well, there was an old commercial. Okay, that doesn't make I don't I don't know what I meant about that. But there was okay. an old commercial where someplace is advertised as Richmond, Indiana, and I sing it in my head as Richmond, Indiana. Yeah. Do you know what commercial I'm talking about? I do, but I don't know it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I understand, but I don't know. That was an important <clears throat> comment I just made. Continue. Yes. Um, in 1949, Jones married Mars married a nurse named Marceline Marceline. I'm gonna call her Marceline Baldwin. Okay. And they moved to Bloomington. He attended IU, and in 1951, the couple moved to Indianapolis, where he attended night school at Butler, earning a degree, earning a degree in secondary education. In 1951, Jones attended gatherings of the Communist Party USA in Indianapolis and became frustrated with the way things were going. Oh, my God. That was so deep. <laughs> it was. It was, like, down here. Yeah. Uh, mainly the ostracism of open communists in the U.S., was what he was frustrated by. This is the point where Jones came to the conclusion that it was time to infiltrate the church to demonstrate his Marxism. Um, what? No, nothing. Okay. I, I was just like, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, to Jones's surprise, a Methodist district superintendent helped him get his start in the church, even though Jones was a known communist. In 1952, Jones became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, later claiming he left the church because its leaders barred him from integrating African-Americans into the congregation. 
Around this time, Jones witnessed a faith healing service at a Seventh-day Baptist church and noticed it attracted people with money. He concluded that he could accomplish his social goals with financing from such services. Mm. <laughs> so. I feel like other people have noticed that as well. <laughs> yeah. Jones organized a gigantic religious convention to take place on June 11th and run through the 15th in 1956. In order to draw in crowds, he arranged to share the pulpit with well-known religious figure, Reverend William M. Branham, a healing evangelist and religious author who is often referred to as Oral Roberts. <clears throat> <laughs> Following the convention, Jones began his own church. The church had various names until finally becoming the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. The People's Temple for short, because that's a mouthful. Mm. And the church was initially an interracial mission. I just like how he, I like, he like threw in every single religious word in that name. Yeah. People's Temple Ch Christian Church Full Gospel. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like a little kid trying to come up with like smart words to say yeah furthermore I don't know henceforth <laughs> um, the people's temple practiced apostolic socialism and preached that quote those who remained drugged with the opiate of religion had, be had to be brought to enlightenment socialism end quote goodness gracious I'm gassy <laughs> <laughs> in the early 60s, Reverend Jim Jones visited Guyana, South America, while on his way to establish a short-lived temple mission in Brazil. Jones received a lot of criticism in Indiana for his integrationist views, so he moved the People's Temple to Redwood Valley, California in 1965. In the early 70s, the temple opened other branches in both Los Angeles and San Francisco, eventually making San Francisco the People's Temple headquarters. I almost, like, flipped the page. I'm only on paragraph two. I still have, like, <laughs> six more paragraphs on the page. <laughs> um, in the fall of 1973, critical newspaper articles came out. So Jones and his attorney, Tim Stone, I don't—it's either Stowen or Stone. I'm just going to pronounce it as Stone. Okay. Prepared—they uh, prepared an immediate action contingency plan. The plan ran through various options, but ultimately ended with a temple choosing Guyana as their lead, as their landing spot. What? I'm sorry. So there was—it said articles? Yeah. So, like, basically, people were finding out about this cult mm. and, uh, like, the abuse that was— Okay. Quote-unquote abuse that was going on in there. And so, like, the newspapers and the media were like, blah. Gotcha. And so they were like, mm, yeah, no, bye. They're like, okay, they, we can't. Because he still wanted to keep going, you know? Right. Run away from the heat, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. So they chose Guyana to go, mm -hmm. to, as the place to go. Um, in 1974, Jones and the Temple negotiated, n negotiated a lease of over 300, 3,800 acres <laughs> of land in the jungle, 150 miles west of the Guyanese capital of Georgetown. The nearest body of water was seven miles away, and Jonestown's location was not far from Guyana's disputed border with Venezuela. Guyanese officials hoped that the presence of American citizens would, would deter a military incursion. So they were like, mm. I guess you can come. If you come, I guess maybe Venezuela won't attack us, <laughs> is I what I understand. Uh, 500 members began the construction of Jonestown, and the temple convinced many more to, re to relocate to the settlement. Jones, Jones saw Jonestown to be both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary for media scrutiny. Excuse me. Jonestown was, <laughs> I just swear, Jonestown was held up as a benevolent com communist community with Jones stating, that's, okay, that just like threw me for a loop just looking at it. Communist community, like, 
literally the last two letters of those words are different and they're pronounced completely different. Whoa. Communist community. That is Com- super com. weird. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> that's why I stumbled over my words there. I don't like that. Um, it was a communist community with Jones stating, quote, I believe we're the purest communists there are. The purest communists. The purest communists. Okay. I feel like that's an oxymoron. I do too. I don't know though, because I don't understand communism that much <laughs> or socialism or any of that nonsense. I don't exactly know. But I feel like that's an oxymoron. <laughs> I'm trying, I was, oh, here, here it is. I was trying to find the patch that Amelia has. Oh. I bought it for her for like her birthday or something. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, man. Um, Jones's wife, Marceline, described Jonestown as, quote, dedicated to live. <gasps> what? Sorry. Marceline the Vampire Queen. Oh. From Adventure Time. Yes. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Describe Jonestown as, quote, dedicated to live for socialism, total economic and racial and social equality. We are here living communally. Okay. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But Jones didn't allow members to leave Jonestown without prior permission. Oh. You know. just We're just living life great. We're just. All equal. But you can't leave. But make sure to check in with me. If you ever want to leave, you have to ask for my permission. Oh, my God. In the summer of 1977, Jones and several hundred Temple members moved to Jonestown, escaping the pressure from San Francisco media investigators. After the mass migration, Jonestown became overcrowded, and Jonestown's population was just under 900 people at its peak in 1978. That's quite a bit. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, many members of the temple believed that Guyana would be, as promised, a paradise. But once Jones arrived, the life in Jonestown significantly changed. Buildings fell into disrepair. Weeds began to take over. School study and nighttime lectures for adults turned into Jones's discussions about revolution and enemies. Uh, for the first several months, temple members worked six days a week, approximately 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. with an hour for lunch. Whoa! 12-hour days, six days a week. Sounds like our job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Are we in a cult? Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, In mid-1978, Jones's health deteriorated, and Marceline began managing more of Jonestown's operations, where the work week was reduced to five days a week, only eight hours a day like normal. Oh, thank you, Marceline. (laughs) After the workday ended, Temple members would attend several hours of activities in the pavilion, including classes in socialism. Jones compared the schedule to the North Korean system of eight hours of daily work followed by eight hours of study. This also fell in line with the temple's practice of gradually subjecting the followers to sophisticated mind control and behavior modification techniques borrowed from North Korea and Mao's China. Stupid. Mm. It makes me angry. Yeah. This whole story, as I, like, each each thing I typed just got more and more angry. (sighs) Starting with the cat. (laughs) (laughs) God, I love you. Jones often read news and commentaries, siding with the Soviets over the Chinese during the the Sino-Soviet split. Sino-Soviet split, whatever that is. I don't freaking know. No clue. History what? (laughs) Discussion around current events often took the form of Jones interrogating individual followers about the implications and subtext of of a given news item or delivering lengthy and often confused monologues on how to read certain events. In addition to Soviet documentaries, political thrillers were repeatedly screened and analyzed by Jones. That just sounds like torture in itself. Yeah, a little bit. Recordings of commune meetings show how livid and frustrated Jones got if anyone did not find the films interesting or didn't understand the message that Jones was placing upon them. Oh, my God. It's Michael Scott making everybody watch. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, "Mm, yeah. What was the name of the movie? Um, Midnight. What is it? Something Midnight. Michael Scarn. Yeah. Something Midnight. 
I don't remember. Oh, I'm like I can I'm I can see the picture, yeah. see the movie playing in my head, and see everybody sitting in the break room watching it, trying like, not to laugh. Yeah. Oh shit! I don't remember. Anyway, um, where'd I go? <laughs> okay. Nothing in the way of film or TV shown on the commute communes. See, it's a stupid word. Shown on the communes closed circuit system could be viewed without a temple staffer being there to interpret the material. Oh. Yeah. Mm-mm. Jones recorded readings of the news. Jones Jones's recorded readings of the news. Oh my God. <laughs> it's okay. Jones's recording. Oh my God. <laughs> Slow down. Up. It's fine. <sighs> I what threw me off is I just said nudes instead of nudes. news. <laughs> Jones's recorded readings of the news were part of the constant broadcast over the Jonestown Tower speakers, making it so all members would hear the messages throughout the day and at night. His news readings would portray the U.S. as a villain and casted socialist leaders like Robert, like Robert Mugabe and Joseph Stalin in a positive light. Mm. Great guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jonestown's primary... primary what it's is okay. happening? Am I, I having know. a stroke I'm or sorry. what? Oh, Luke Perry just had a stroke. Oh no! Yeah, I, I sent it to myself. That's I. That was something like if you saw me, like I was like, I got to send this to myself yeah. or I'll forget. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. In the hospital. Oh no. Okay. Jonestown's primary means of communication with the outside world was a shortwave radio. All voice communications with San Francisco and Georgetown were transmitted with that radio and included everything from supply orders to confidential temple business. The FCC cited cited the temple for technical violations and for using amateur frequencies for commercial purposes. Because shortwave radio was Jonestown's only effective means of non-postal communication, the temple felt that the FCC's threat to revoke its operator's license ultimately threatened Jonestown's existence. Okay. (laughs) That was the exact reaction I was hoping for. Um, Because Jonestown was not self-sufficient due to standing on poor soil, they had to import large quantities of commodities like wheat and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Temple members lived in small communal houses and ate meals that reportedly consisted of nothing more on some days than rice, beans, greens, and occasionally meat, sauce, and eggs. I want to know what kind of sauce. Sauce. Like spaghetti sauce or like... Gravy. Gravy sauce. Some or like kind of, ketchup sauce. Some kind of sauce. Yeah, some kind of sauce. Occasionally. I bet it was watered down, no yeah. matter what it was. Occasionally. Uh, medical problems like severe diarrhea and high fever struck half the community. Despite having access to an estimated $26 million by late 1978, Jones also lived in a tiny communal house, though fewer people lived here, lived there than in other communal houses. Jones's house also held a small refrigerator containing eggs, meat, fruit, salads, and pop. <sighs> Gotta get the pop. Yep. Big red. <laughs> Jones shout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. See, he's saving that money left and right. Yeah. Uh, Kool-Aid's expensive, homie. Seriously. Jonestown contained to Jonestown contained no dedicated prison and no form of capital punishment, but various forms of punishment were used against members who were considered to have serious disciplinary problems. Punishment methods include imprisonment in a small plywood box and forcing children to spend a night at the bottom of a well, sometimes upside down. Oh, my God. You can't do upside down. Won't that kill you? How long can you be upside down? I don't know, but I feel like not for very long because all the blood rushes to your head. Yeah. Let's find out. How long can you be upside down? Yeah. (laughs) Wait. Uh... It doesn't say. 
Oh. It's just like, be careful. <laughs> Take your time. Test it out. <laughs> Test it out until you die? Basically, it's like, keep adding a minute or two and see how you do. Mm. I feel like I wouldn't last. <clears throat> no. No. Um, this torture hole, along with the beatings, became the subject of rumors among the local Guyanese. For some members who attempted to escape Jonestown, drugs such as Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic, sodium pentothal, which is an anesthetic, chloral hydrate, a sedative and hypnotic, Demerol, which is a painkiller, and Valium, which is a sedative, were administered in an extended care unit. In an effort to enforce Jonestown's rules, armed guards also patrolled the area day and night. Yikes. Great place to be. Children were generally surrendered to communal care and at times were only allowed to see their biological parents briefly at night. Both adults and children called Joan's father or dad and the community also had a nursery where 33 infants were born. Okay, imagine being one of those kids. Yeah, no thank you. Up to $65,000 in monthly welfare payments from the US from US government agencies to Jonestown residents were signed over to the temple. In 1978, officials from the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown interviewed Social Security recipients on multiple occasions to make sure that they weren't being held against their will. None of the 75 people interviewed by the embassy stated that they were being held captive, were forced to sign over welfare checks, or even wanted to leave Jonestown. Mm. So, quick breakdown of the demographics. Okay. African Americans made up approximately 70% of the Jonestown population, with 45% of the residents being African American women. Okay. So, Are they American? You said American? It just said black people. Yeah. I wonder if it's people. I mean, I'm just curious how many people. 70% is a huge yeah. chunk of the population. And I'm not trying to. It's going to sound awful. Maybe not. Doesn't it seem like white people are more likely to be Fall swayed? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I wonder were they you make a Guyanese maybe people? A lot of them included in that. I'm just curious. I don't know. Anyway. I just didn't want to put black people because I felt like that was kind of racist. Yeah, I wouldn't have said black people. <laughs> so I was like I don't know. <laughs> are we cutting this out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. Who oh, knows? we I I'm not trying to be racist in any sense of what I'm saying. I was just right curious now. as to see if it was. I was shocked by the seventy percent. Yeah, that's that okay. Just, that's yeah. a big majority. It's a lot of people, and I just don't feel like someone almost got hit on the road right behind you. Oh my god! That, that like red a person truck. Or no, a truck. that truck. But someone pulling out of our area, <gasps> like almost clipped the tail of that, and they like sped up just a little bit and, like, hit their brakes. Whoa. Ooh, anyway. Crazy. Okay. So the numbers break down like this. Okay. 460 African-American females. Whether or not they were American, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) 231 African-American males, 138 white females, 108 white males, 27 interracial females, 12 interracial males, 13 were listed as other females and 10 listed as other males. Okay. So it was a lot of I'm just curious. Different people. Yeah. So 
Jones made frequent communication to the Temple members regarding Jonestown's safety, including statements that the CIA and other intelligence agencies were conspiring to destroy the settlement and harm its inhabitants. After work, when alleged emergencies arose, the Temple sometimes conducted what Jones referred to as white nights. Mm. That's like nights as in not daytime. Nights. Oh, as in not Not like quiet, like on a horse. Yeah. Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> um, during these events, Jones would sometimes give the members four different options. You can flee to the jungle. You can attempt to flee to the Soviet Union. You can stay in Jonestown and fight. Or you can commit revolutionary suicide. Mm. On at least two occasions during White Nights, after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached, a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Temple Defector, which is an escapee. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah Layton described in the event in an affidavit, quote, everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and that we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands, end quote. Did anyone not do it? Does it say? That time it didn't say. Okay. Um, The temple had... (laughs) I don't like that. No. The fact that 900 people were just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, chug, chug. No thanks. The temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide since 1976 after Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical. In September of 1977, former Temple members Tim and Grace Stone, Tim was the lawyer that I mentioned earlier, Mm. um, they escaped or whatever, um, and they battled in a Georgetown court to produce an order for the Temple to show cause why a final order should not be issued returning their five-year-old son, John. So that's a really confusing sentence. Okay, yeah, so... So what I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong is I think that Jonestown was holding their five-year-old son, John, Mm -hmm. and, like, weren't giving him back, even though these two had gotten out of Jonestown's situation. So they tried to, like, fight it in court to Mm -hmm. get them, to get their son back, is what I understand that sentence to be. Okay. Who knows? (laughs) Um, A few days later, a second order was issued for John to be taken into protective custody by authorities. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's why mm-hmm. the fear of being held in contempt of the orders caused Jones to set up a false sniper attack upon himself and began his first series of white nights called the six day siege drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Oh my God. Um, oh my gosh. They're after me. I'm going to set up a sniper attack. Everybody needs to know about it. Insert eye roll here. Oh my gosh. Your entire like body rolled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I pictured when you said that. <laughs> um, during the siege, Jones spoke to Temple members about the attacks from outsiders and had them surround Jonestown with machine guns and machetes. Jones made radio broadcasts stating, quote, we will die unless we are granted freedom from harassment and asylum, end quote. Uh, Deputy Minister Reed finally assured Marceline that the Guyana Defense Force would not invade Jonestown. So... While he's losing his mind about the guy and he's breaking his trust, Mm -hmm. in late 1977 and early 1978, Tim and Grace participated with other relatives of Jonestown residents at the home of Janine Mills, another Temple 
defector. That made that didn't sense didn't make sense. They like got together. Yeah, no, that these makes sense. people that yeah. were like, "What the hell is going on?" Got together. Mm-hmm. Together, they called themselves the concerned relatives. They basically wrote letters to public and government officials in both the U.S. Secretary of State and the Guyanese government, mm-hmm. and were just like, "This is happening. Help!" Um, Ninety-one congressmen also wrote le- letters. Wow. Yeah. How many people are in Congress? I don't know. Congress is made up of the House and the Senate, right? That's what Congress is. I'm I pretty think so. sure. So there's like couple hundred. Okay. I got there, guys. It's all right. I paid a little bit of attention. Um, me completely wrong. <laughs> threat level midnight. Yes. It was threat level midnight. You're right. It was. We got there once again. I know. I wonder if it was that truck. Let's go follow him. Okay. <laughs> in May and June of 1978, Tim Stone represented the concerned relatives. Beep, beep. Mike? Come on, dude. <laughs> ben and Mike? We're busy. Um, Tim Stone represented the concerned relatives in three lawsuits against Jones and other Temple residents. So in this part, there's like a whole bunch of like legal back and forth mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. that never really had any conclusion that I could find or really understand. I'm so, sure. If you can understand law stuff better than I can, Google it. <laughs> so Google I, it. I was just getting stressed out and couldn't do it. In 1978, Jones was informed of a possible lung infection, which he then announced to his followers that he had lung cancer. Okay. Floyd- My God, dude. <laughs> yeah. Floyd received sympathy and strengthened the support throughout the community. I told you just a few minutes ago, drama queen. <laughs> He was also said to be abusing injectable val- abusing did I say abusing or using? I don't know. Jones was said to be abusing injectable Valium, Quaaludes, stimulants, LSD and barbiturates. Damn. Seriously. My word. Audio tapes of 1978 meetings with Jonestown attest to Jones declining physical condition with him complaining of high blood pressure, small okay. It's a fucking list. <laughs> He was complaining of high blood pressure, small strokes, rapid weight loss, temporary blindness, convulsions, and in, in early November of 1978, grotesque swelling of his extremities. He also oh mentioned chronic insomnia, stating that he would go three to four days without rest. I mean, you are on one, two, three, four, five, at least five different categories okay. of drugs. Imagine, like, ima- <laughs> can you just imagine him, like, and my head hurts, and I can't get any sleep, and my fingers are kind of swollen. Like, can you imagine this dude? Whiny baby. Why is anybody following him or listening Drama to him? Drama queen. I would be so sick of hearing yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that same month, Leo Ryan, who represented California's 11th congressional district, so he is a congressman. That's mm-hmm. what that means. <clears throat> Hey, don't show off your knowledge in history right now. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Shut it down. Um, Leo Ryan announced that he would visit Jonestown. Ryan was friends with the father of Bob Houston, a temple member in California whose mutilated body was found near train tracks on October 5th of 1976, three days after a taped phone conversation with Houston's ex-wife in which leaving the temple was discussed. Ooh. Yeah. So he... those congressman was friends with the father of the guy who died mm-hmm. after having a conversation with the guy who died's wife. Okay, we got there. <laughs> On November 14th, I feel like sometimes when I explain things to make myself understand it better, out loud, it's even more confusing. No, you're great at explaining stuff. On November 14th, Ryan flew to Jonestown along with 18 other people. 
When they arrived in Guyana, they were initially refused access into Jonestown. But by morning of November 17th, which three days later, mm-hmm. was informed that Ryan Jones was informed that Ryan was going to Jonestown regardless of what Jones said. Get it. <laughs> so he's like, no, dude, I'm coming. Um, only Ryan and three others were initially accepted in his, into Jonestown and the rest were allowed in after sunset. I don't know what the big deal, like why, I don't know what sunset has to do with anything, but. He's setting the scene. <sighs> Drama. Queen. <laughs> that night, they attended a musical reception in the pavilion at Jonestown. While the party was received warmly, Jones said he felt like a dying man and ranted about government conspiracies and martyrdom as he declared attacks by the press and his enemies. Good Lord. I hate this guy. Yeah. It was later reported and verified by audio tapes recovered by investigators that Jones had run rehearsals on how to convince Ryan's delegation that everyone was happy and in good spirits. So they, like, practice faking it. Oh, my Like, gosh. oh, yeah, we're just so happy. Yikes, dude. I'm so happy giving this man all of my Social Security money <laughs> just so I can work for nothing. For bread. For just and the occasion And the occasional sauce. but i'm happy i got me yes yes i'm happy congressman ryan i get occasional sauce (laughs) me too (laughs) two temple members made the move for defection that night in the pavilion vernon gosney and monica bagby slipped nbc reporter don harris mistaking him for leo ryan a note that read, quote, Dear Congressman Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, please help us get out of Jonestown, end quote. Ryan and three others were permitted to stay the night in Jonestown while everyone else was told they had to find other accommodations. I guess it kind of makes sense because they're, like, worried that this group of 18 people is going to take this one guy down. Mm-hmm. kind of makes sense, but whatever. <laughs> so the other people report returned to Port Kaituma and stayed at a small cafe. In the early morning of November 18th, 11 temple members sensed danger enough to walk out of Jonestown and all the way to the town of Matthews Ridge, which is in the opposite direction of the Port Kaituma airstrip. So I think 11 people were just like, F this, mm-hmm. I'm out. And they just walked away. I think. Okay. You don't hear anything about those 11 the rest of the time. So (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? Um, That afternoon, other families approached the Ryan delegation and asked to be escorted out of Jonestown as well. When Jones's adopted son, Johnny, which I think is the John from earlier. Okay. It's unconfirmed, at least in what I found. Um, when Johnny attempted to talk to one of the mem- talk one of the members out of leaving, the member told the boy, "No way, it's nothing but a communist prison camp." Damn. Yeah, Jones gave them permission to leave. I think it was two two families, a couple, and I think somebody else. Um, but he was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. you guys can leave, whatever." When uh, Harris, who's the reporter, when Harris handed Jones the note from Gosney and Bagby, Jones stated that they were lying and wanted to destroy Jonestown. So this guy's just delusional. Okay. All right. But then the reporter gave him the note that the couple that, but they had left already. Yeah. Okay. Like they All were right. getting ready to leave and they gave him, and it said in the thing that I read, which I didn't put in, but it said in the thing, uh, the reporter was doing an interview with him and was like in the interview handed okay. him a note. Okay. So, so I like, think it was kind of like a what can we get this guy? Right, to a do reaction. Or say? We want yeah. a reaction. Okay, I get it. So uh, they was just, he said that they were lying and wanted to destroy Jonestown because he's delusional. Same. And crazy. Um 
you want to destroy John Sutter? You're delusional <laughs> no, and crazy. I, anytime someone says that anything negative about me, I'm just going to start saying you're lying and you're trying to destroy Jonestown. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's up. I like it. Okay. I want you to start referring to yourself as Jonestown. That's my name. <gasps> Mark and Jonestown in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh, man. You thought we got bad messages before. <laughs> My career is over. <laughs> <laughs> While most of the Ryan delegation began to depart on a large dunk dump truck, a dunk truck. I thought you were going to say dunk tank. <laughs> <laughs> on a large dump truck to the Port Kaituma airstrip, Ryan and Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy to Guyana, Richard Dwyer, stayed behind to process anyone else who wished to leave. Um, shortly before the truck left, Temple loyalist Larry Layton demanded to join the group, and several of the people who were leaving voiced their concerns about his motivations. <clears throat> shortly after the truck left, Temple member Don Ujara Sly grabbed Ryan wielding a knife. While Ryan was uninjured after others wrestled Sly to the ground, Dwyer su- strongly suggested they leave Jonestown. So they did, but Ryan was like, I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, the truck stopped after the passengers heard of the attack on Ryan and took him as a passenger before continuing the journey to the airstrip. When they reached the airstrip between 4.30 and 4.45 that afternoon, still on the 18th, the planes hadn't appeared as scheduled. When the planes landed at 5.10, they began the boarding process. So initially there was only supposed to be one plane for mm-hmm. just to take this group of people back. But then obviously people were like, yo, take me with you. I so want to go. They yeah. got another plane to come as well. So, that loyalist guy, Layton, he began shooting at the passengers on one plane, the smaller plane, wounding Bagby and Gosney, mm. um, but was disarmed by one of the formal, former Temple members, the guy that told John, like, no, this is a crazy place. Um, that guy's, like, basically saving everyone single-handedly. Yeah. Jesus. He's just like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, like, we're leaving. I, gra- I got my balls back. Here we go. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the other people had boarded the other aircraft, a tractor with a trailer attached, driven by members of the Temple's Red Brigade Red Brigade Security Squad, approached the second larger plane. When the tractor neared within about 30 feet, the Red Brigade opened fire with shotguns, handguns, and rifles, while at least two soldiers circled the plane on foot. There were approximately nine shooters at the airstrip. Jesus. The first few seconds of the shooting were captured by NBC cameraman Bob Brown. Bob, uh, Brown was killed along with... San Francisco examiner photographer Greg Robinson, NBC reporter Don Harris, and Temple defector Patricia Parks within the first few minutes of the shooting. Ryan's legal advisor Jackie Spear, NBC audio technician Stevens, Steve Sung, Richard Dwyer. Oh, I thought I already said his name, but it's flashback. It's all good. <laughs> Richard Dwyer, San Francisco examiner reporter Tim Reederman, and defector Anthony Ketsaris were among nine. Hmm, that didn't spell that one right. I said spelled a month instead of among. We're among the nine injured in and around the second plane. So one, two, three, four people died in the shooting and then nine were injured. Jesus. Before leaving Jonestown, Ryan told the Temple lawyer, Charles Gary, that he would issue a report describing Jonestown, quote, in basically good terms. Ryan stated that none of the 60... Rel- okay, between this and this... Between this and this next thing, mm-hmm. a lot, a, no- a whole lot of other legal mumbo-jumbo happened that I just... It was written so weird that I just... I can't wrap my head around it. And so. we don't... We don't care. Yeah. 
So they do this. And before leaving Jonestown, Ryan told the Temple lawyer, Charles Gary, that he would issue a report describing Jonestown, quote, in basically good terms. Ryan stated that none of the 60 relatives he had targeted for interviews wanted to leave. And the 14 defectors that did want to leave constituted a very small portion of the Jonestown residents. And that even if 200 of the 900 plus people that were there wanted to leave, he would still say, you have a beautiful place here. Despite Gary's report, Jones told him, I've failed. Gary reiterated that Ryan would be making a positive report, but Jones maintained that all is lost. Mm. Um, A 44-minute cassette tape known as the death tape records part of a meeting Jones called under the pavilion in the early evening. Before the meeting, aides prepared a large metal tub with grape flavor aid. Flavor aid. Which I learned. Yeah. It's... We obviously all call it Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. but it's actually called Flavor-Aid, which I did not know that. Yeah, there's definitely Kool-Aid and Flavor-Aid, and I, yeah. I, I, I have been informed more than once that it's it was Flavor-Aid, actually. Yeah. And I'm like, actually. I, actually, it's Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> actually, suck my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they prepared a large metal tub filled with grape Flavor-Aid, and poisoned it with Valium, chloral hydrate, cyanide, and fenergan. Sounds delicious. Great flavored. <laughs> sauce. Sauce. <laughs> Here's your occasional <laughs> sauce. Um, when everyone gathered, Jones told, Jones told them that one of the people on, on the plane was going to shoot the pilot. That he didn't plan it, but he knew it was going to happen. He continued that they were going to shoot the pilot, the plane would crash in the jungle, and, quote, we had better not have any of our children left when it's over because they'll parachute in here on us, end quote. So, on the tape, Mm -hmm. Jones urged the temple members to commit revolutionary suicide. In response to the reactions of seeing the poison take effect on others, Jones counseled, die with a, this is a quote, die with a degree of dignity, Lay lay down your life with dignity, don't lay down with tears and agony. He also said, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguish cries. Death is a million times preferable. Death is a million times preferable to 10 more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight, end quote. Mm. How how did that many people believe him? I don't know. And also, nothing's going to, nothing would have happened to them. Mm -mm. You're the one that's going to prison. Right. It's or not dying. them, it's you, dude. Yeah. Um, escaped Temple member Odell Rhodes stated that while the poison was squirted in some children's mouth, there was no panic or emotional outburst, and the assembled Temple members looked like they were in a trance. But that statement is contradicted by the cries and screams of children heard throughout the tape. Jones was found dead lying next to his chair between two other bodies, his head cushioned by a pillow. His death was caused by a gunshot wound to his left temple, consistent with being self-inflicted, according to Guyanese chief medical examiner Leslie Mutu. Moto. Mutu. Guyanese word. Okay. On November 18, 1978, a total of 918 people died in the settlement at nearby at the nearby airstrip in Port Kaituma and at a temple-run building in Georgetown. A third of the victims, approximately 304, were minors. Oh, my gosh. The events at Jonestown. The events at Jonestown consisted. It's, it's all right. No, it's one more sentence, Emily. <clears throat> get through it. The events at Jonestown constituted the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the tragic incidents that took place on September 11th, in 2001. Whoa, yeah. 
Okay, so it was Americans. They, I mean, they said American civilians. Yeah. Fuck. That, I just, it's insane every time you hear it, right? I know. It's insane. <sighs> Jesus. Okay, I have to pee. Um. Okay, <clears throat> hello again. Hi. So... I don't know what happened, but <laughs> <laughs> story of our lives. It's it's Monday now, and I was editing today's episode, and mm -hmm. half of the episode is gone. <laughs> like no no idea where it is. Okay, so we're gonna redo the second half of this episode, <laughs> and it'll be great. It'll be fine. It'll be great and fine. Yeah. You know what's funny is I watched. Um, a documentary that was like very similar to the story. Yeah. And so when you told me, I panicked for a little bit, like, <gasps> oh no. But then I I went and pulled it up and I was like, oh no, 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 no. You you were you got it. You, you remember this. this. You, you, got you this. totally got this. Um, one thing I do want to mention from the audio that got wherever it went, mm -hmm. it got poofed. <laughs> I don't I really don't know what happened. But um we talked about the Momo challenge for like a 15 minutes straight. We I don't want to talk about it for 15 minutes straight because I don't want to get all worked up because it's nine <laughs> o'clock on Monday morning. <laughs> but um, kill it. It's, it's was basically what happened is I just got real upset. <laughs> I got really angry. <laughs> and my entire moral of that whole story was mm -hmm. get rid of it. No momos. Stop being stupid. And Patrick used to call monsters momos when That's she was what little. Our, I was like, gosh, why did we talk about it for so long? Oh, because I called monsters momos. And that's the weirdest part about the whole momo thing. Yeah, because it showed up and Patrick's like, oh my gosh, they're back to get me. Yeah, the momos here. So get me. kill it. No more monsters. No monsters. No more creepy things floating around on the internet. Just stop. No more <laughs> creepy things floating around on the internet. What a great podcast we have. I know. <laughs> We're so informative. We're like, look, we talked about this for like 15 minutes last time, but we don't want to do it again. So here's the recap. <laughs> here's your yeah. Oh, here's your my word. 30 second recap because quality entertainment over here. Seriously. Just so you know. <sighs> hey, we're back. Hi. For our little. Um, we had a great weekend, but we're not going to tell you about it until next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going to jump right in. <clears throat> All right. I totally remember it, and it's not gonna. I'm not getting confused with another documentary that I just watched on it's Saturday okay. morning. It's okay. While I got ready, anyway. <clears throat> At least you have a paper to follow along with. Like, imagine if we tried <sighs> to do this off of our brains, and like maybe a few like sub point, like notes. handwritten notes. Yeah, that we just no. That we'd be a mess. Oh, I could not like function this way. Like, I couldn't do something like this. Like in the 80s, like I couldn't be a reporter or a journalist or oh, anything. No. 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 Just listen. Without Ugh. Wikipedia? Ew. What, what do we do? Copy and paste? What would the paste? world do without Wikipedia? I don't know. <sighs> Lord. Oh, man. We'd go on it. We'd kill somebody. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, probably. Okay. In the spring of 1984, Lonnie David Franklin Jr. approached Laura Moore at a bus stop and offered her a ride. She was reluctant but agreed to go with him after Franklin warned her um, by saying that bad guys will pick you up. Let me take you where you have to go. That would probably work on me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> are you sure, sis? I'd be like, uh, you know what? You're right. Um, Franklin told her to put on her seatbelt, and when she refused, she said that he reached under his seat and grabbed a gun. He shot her six times. Laura was wounded, but as she escaped, she turned back and studied his face. Lonnie David Franklin Jr., 63, now better known as the Grim Sleeper. Um, he's called the Grim Sleeper because he... Eh, it says that it's appeared that he took a 14-year 
break from his crimes from 1988 to 2002. But there's lots of speculation, like they just didn't find what was going on then or, you know, how that is. Um, I think it's crazy. Like, BTK took off time and stuff. mm -hmm. I just think that's so wild. You know, like, I think it's kind of ingrained in our, I don't know, like our culture or whatever. Right. They're like hammering them out, you know? Right. Where like you forget that they, they're terrible people, but they do have lives that they're living. Like he got too busy to murder. Yeah, he's like, oh, like, oh my gosh, work's so stressful right now. I can't, (laughs) I just can't do this. I just don't understand. It's that's just crazy. To like, me. can't meet up with your friends. You missed your high school reunion. Don't yeah. have time to celebrate your anniversary. Can't kill anybody. Work's busy. Yeah. Kids are running. The kids have you know practice. Yeah. You're busy. That's just. I just think that's so crazy that they take breaks. Whether it's six months, fourteen right. years. Right. Like, what did he do in those fourteen years? Crochet. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> like, I don't. I can't wrap my head around like what they do in those break times. I feel like I think is what it is. It's like. Um, you know how I'm working, like, I work out a lot. And yeah. then sometimes it'll be like, I'm like, I haven't ran in two months. Yeah. It's like that. Like, I, I haven't, guess ki- time I haven't just killed get- anybody in t- 10 months. Time just Damn. gets away from them. They're like, oh, shit. Oh, remember, I used to get so much joy out of running slash murder. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Maybe I should try it again. <laughs> sign up for a community. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, Lonnie Franklin was born on August 30th. Oh, I skipped a section. That's okay. He was convicted in 2016 of killing nine women and one teenage girl from 1985 to 2007 and sentenced to death. So the break between 1985 and 2007 was 88 to 2002. That was like a longer break than the time he spent killing. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, Okay. Lonnie Franklin Jr. was born on August 30th, 1952. He grew up in South Central Los Angeles. He married and had two children, and he was given a general discharge from the United States Army on July 4th, 1975. He was well-known and well-liked by those in his neighborhood. Um, Franklin was described by neighbors as friendly and quiet. He often worked on cars in his front yard while chatting with passersby which is not typical of, like, a serial killer. At least if people right. are like, oh, he's nice. It was like, a, he's a nice, quiet guy. He, we never, never mess hear with. from yeah. him. Yeah. But this was, like, a, one of the neighborhood guys, like, outside all the time. You know those guys. Yeah. Um, he was known in the neighborhood to be a car guy, but he was also known for stealing them and had been arrested and done time for Grand Theft Auto in the past. Um, I think I mentioned this when we recorded on Friday, but he is on, like, the Google Maps picture, (laughs) like, outside, out front of his house, Mm -hmm. um, just talking to someone, which I think is great. Um, I had a question in the audio that got disappeared. Yeah. Um, I still want to know the word for people that take stolen cars, like, steal cars, and then sell them. Okay, we're going to look it up right now. Because... This I made, like, this big deal about it on Friday. I was like, I just, there's a word for people who steal cars and then turn around and sell them for their own profit. I just tried to reply to someone wanting to buy a bracelet, like, what's the word for stealing? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. They would have been like, um, what? I just, and I meant to look it up after we were done. Or I was going to look it up today when I edited the episode, but the audio disappeared, obviously. Um, do you, oh, a carjacker? No, those are people that steal, just steal a car. Yeah. Maybe I'm just like imagining it. 
or maybe I feel like there needs to be a word for when it. When you Google stuff, do you type into Google like you're talking? Because yeah. I literally typed, what's the word for a person who steals cars and resells them? Yes. Okay, good. good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I did that the other day, and I don't remember what I looked for. But I, it was like, I was like, well, Google understand this. I mean, Google understands a lot, but. Google does, they, it does get me. I just keep seeing carjacker, but that's just, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, mm, to sell stolen goods. Okay. I'm going to Google it too, but I'm afraid. Yeah, I can't, I can't find it. A booster? No, that's stupid. No, I don't, that's, it might be it, but that's not the word that I'm. Boosting cars? Maybe that's it. Um, Oh, that's what it is. Urban Dictionary booster. A booster is a person who jacks and sells. Okay. From the retailers and sells it in the hood for dirt. That wasn't the. Booster. Words that I was thinking of, but maybe boosting cars. The only thing I can think of is um, shameless. What was in the first season that guy's name that she was into, and he stole cars and sold them? Um, Steve. Steve. But he had a different name. Yeah, that's why I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. My hair looked like Fiona's on Saturday, real bad. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I, I tried mean, to put it up, and okay. then that made it worse. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I guess that is it, because I also found other words are, there's just hustler and pirate. Mm. But that's, that I feel like there's a different word. I don't know. Maybe I'm just going crazy. Or maybe, Boosting cars. Maybe I'm thinking of a different word for a completely different thing and associate. I don't fucking know. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> maybe I've just lost it. I have to. Which is also possible. Not look at any words or I'll just be distracted. Okay. Okay. Where was I? Okay. Sorry. <clears throat> this will never get out. It's no. Fine. <laughs> the Grim Sleeper, one of California's most prolific serial killers. Clearly, I copy and pasted that. Ha. Um, <laughs> you don't use prolific on a daily prolific. basis? What are you talking about? Uh, he targeted victims who were generally young, vulnerable, and often ignored. The attacks failed to raise alarms the way other famous serial slayings by killers such as the Hillside Strangler or the Night Stalker did. He targeted African-American women who were drug addicts or prostitutes and often dumped their naked bodies alongside roads or in the garbage. Many of the women were initially listed as Jane Doe's. The deaths drew little, if any, media attention. With police keeping the slayings quiet, despite suspicions that a serial killer was stalking black women, um, I don't know why, why I post it that way, but... It caused a lot of people to be upset. They're saying that the decision to not talk about it led to many more women being killed and murdered. Okay. I agree. It attributes to his longevity as a killer. Yeah. Copy and pasted that, too. (laughs) The series of killings began in South Los Angeles in the summer of 1985 and continued with some frequency until 88. When a female survivor was raped and shot, she lived to describe her attacker as black in his 20s, Five foot eight to five foot ten, about 160 pounds, soft spoken and articulate, with neatly trimmed hair and a pockmarked face. Um, so I mean that's kind of a small dude. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could beat him up. Yeah. Most I definitely outweigh him. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Most of his victims were killed along a corridor in the Manchester Manchester Square neighborhood of South Los Angeles. Their bodies dumped in alleyways. I already said that. Deborah Jackson, 29. Shot three times in the chest, and her body was found August 10th in 1985. 
in an alley. She was the first known victim of the Grim Sleeper. She was shot three times in the chest. Um, <clears throat> Henrietta Wright, 35, found dead of multiple gunshot wounds in August of 1986. Her body was left in the 2500 block of West Vernon Avenue in Hyde Park in an alley. At the time of her death, um, Chief of Detectives Lieutenant Joseph Freya for the L.A. Police Department said he had no suspects in the killing. Wright's body was found under a discarded mattress, but that she may have been killed elsewhere and dumped. Um, Barbara Ware, 23, was found dead January of 1987. Um, Her body was left in the 1300 block of East 56th Street, just on the side of the street. A man who said he saw Ware's body being dumped called 911 to report what he had seen. And according to a transcript of the call, the man said he wished to remain anonymous because he knew too many people, but that someone threw her out. And the only thing that's hanging out, um, he said that he threw a gas tank on top of her and you can only see her feet. He also reported a full license plate number and description for the van, um, and, like, they even, re- like, recorded the license plate number. There's Dang. Yeah. The van described by the caller was located by police in a church parking lot about four and a half miles from where Ware's body was found. Um, in a documentary that was put out in 2014, so before Lonnie was convicted, but he was in prison waiting on trial, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people in the neighborhood that speculated, like, oh, that's him. That's his voice. We know him. We talk to him every day. He totally called. Huh. Yeah, super weird. That is weird. Because, I mean, he wasn't, like, taking a break at that time, so I don't know. Bernita Sparks, found dead April 15th, 1987. Um, her body was left in the Southwestern Avenue near Gramercy Park. According to L.A. Police Department, she had been shot with a small caliber gun, and her body was left next to the trash. Mary Lowe, 26, found October 31st, 1987. So it's like he's cranking them out. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 8900 block of Western Avenue, Avenue in Gramercy Park, it's like they're all so close. I don't understand why people weren't freaking out. You yeah. know, like why someone didn't notice and freak out. Especially after like the first, like if there were two that were similar, why was why weren't there? Mm-hmm people there you like know there what I'm must saying? have been neighborhood talk <clears throat> yeah there must have been because like we where our station is if someone found an a-, a body in an alley and then four months later another body was found killed the same way like in another alley or close mm-hmm. wouldn't we be like whoa yeah what's up <laughs> you and i would be like grab your magnifying glass <laughs> we're going <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Lucretia Jefferson, 22, was found January 30th, 1988 um, in an alley. Alicia Alexander, 18, was found dead September 11th, 1988 in an alley near 43rd Place and Western Avenue. Princess Berth... Oh, man, that name. The teenager, (laughs) the sweet young teenager, Princess Berthamo, 15, was found strangled and beaten March... 19th, 2002, in an mm-hmm. Inglewood alley. So that, I mean, it's so much farther from the others and a different way to kill them, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Her nude body was found by a passerby in the shrubs, according to coroner's records. Although the coroner gave the date her body was found. Oh, we don't want to, we don't care about that. Um, Valerie McCorvey, 35, was found dead July 11th, 2003. Uh, 
in the same area, Westmont area in an alley. Around the time of McCorvey's death, Franklin faced up to three years in prison after pleading no contest to receiving stolen property. As part of a plea agreement with prosecutors, however, he was sentenced to jail for 270 days. Hmm. Um, once he entered jail, he benefited from Los Angeles's overburdened justice system and sheriff's officials were releasing inmates early to ease overcrowding in the county's jails. Franklin was released in May 2003, more than four months early, according to jail data. Um, so two months later, a crossing guard in the Westmont area of the city stumbled across McCorvey's lifeless body. She had suffered trauma to her neck. Janicia Peters, 25, was found January 1st, 2007, in the 9500 block of Southwestern Avenue in Los Angeles, she had been shot and covered with a garbage bag. A homeless man looking for cans discovered her body and called authorities. Okay. In early September 2008, Los Angeles officials announced that they were offering a $500,000 reward to help catch the killer. On November 1, the case was featured on the Fox program, America's Most Wanted. And on February 25th, 2009, um... Bratton addressed the press for the first time regarding the case, at which the time the police formally gave the killer the Grim Sleeper nickname chosen. Um, Bratton also released audio from that 911 call from the 80s mm -hmm. in which a man reported seeing a body being dumped by the Grim Sleeper and giving a detailed description of the van and the license plate. So this was in 2008, and the first murder was 85. That's insane. That is insane like you're just now basically like letting the public be aware like hey watch out maybe you should have done that like 20 years ago maybe. there was so many there in a few years i just don't understand that i mean i do but i hate it yeah when controversial dna tests linked her killer um to earlier slavings police chief bratton ordered the creation of a task force to investigate the serial killer uh, to invest investigate the grim sleeper um <clears throat> In early 2010, collecting, using DNA collected from the scenes of the murders, detectives linked the crimes to a relative of Franklin's whose DNA was in the system, his son, Christopher. He had been arrested for felony weapons possession in 2009, and District Attorney Steve Cooley said he believes this is the first time a familial, familial DNA search has been used successfully in the state. On July 7th, 2010, Los Angeles police arrest Lonnie David Franklin Jr. at his home in South L.A. in connection with the killings. Um, so watching the documentary that was put out in 2014, they get, I feel like it's because they're British documentary guys and mm -hmm. um, they just trust, the people in the neighborhood just kind of like trusted them. Mm -hmm. And they had a woman driving around with them, I think, that helped with that. Um, they definitely were saying that Christopher and uh, Lonnie were very close. Mm -hmm. um, and this could just be neighborhood talk and speculation or whatever, but that Christopher would have no, there would be no way for him not to know his dad was involved with this sort of thing. They were together all the time. Mm -hmm. there, they had an ex-girlfriend of Christopher's on there talking about how his behavior was that he carried a gun with him all the time. He drove with it in his lap, um, that him and his dad were very close. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I hate because it's like you can't help who your parents are. Right. But then, I mean, the way that they are talking and the way that they describe Christopher. And he, you know, hmm. he obviously had a violent past because he was. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know. We'll see. And I'm not sure how I feel about being able, like, if my kid committed a crime. Yeah. And my, you know, like, they're like, oh, we caught your DNA because we had your kid's DNA on file. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't have committed a crime, but. Right. (sighs) I feel like, okay, so this is obviously, like, a big thing now with DNA kits and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like if, um, if it has to do with a crime, I feel like that's what it is. Right. Like, especially if in this scenario where the kid's DNA was in because the kid committed a crime Mm -hmm. and then because they suspected the dad they ran the dad's DNA to match to this mm-hmm. DNA or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's even more like, okay, in yeah. my mind. Whereas if, if like, they just, if, like, the FBI walked in right now and was like, hey, we have your DNA or we have your brother's DNA right. on this crime scene and we, or we have this person's DNA on this crime scene and we matched it. To you, it's got some relation to you because I submitted to a DNA sampling test. Right. I feel like that'd be okay. However, it would scare the shit out of me because, like, what if it's such a close match? Yeah. That, like, what if I have, like, a long-lost twin or something? I don't, you, you don't know? know. Like, what? and it's such a close match that it would implicate me on something that I didn't do. Right. That would freak me out. Yeah. And it would also freak me out if, like, 30 years down the line— just I completely forget that I did this DNA thing right. and, so, and FBI comes banging on my door and they're like, hey. And I'm like, that would scare the <laughs> shit out of me. But I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel a little bit on the opposite of that. Yeah. I feel like maybe, okay, so I probably, let's say I'm Lonnie David Franklin Jr. And my sweet daughter, Amelia, um, like, she didn't murder someone, but she beat someone up, and they have her DNA and all this. And they have old DNA from an old case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, hey, this girl's DNA, we yeah. ran it, and it hits very close to this old case. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I feel like I that's feel like, my business. Uh, that's stupid. That's I feel stupid, like the biggest thing is it's— I feel like it's 100% okay if you're running a case, mm-hmm. whether it's old DNA and you're, like, revisiting a cold case or it's new DNA from this person and whatever reason they cross, mm-hmm. they match, whether it's the DNA from this new criminal matches an old cold case or this old cold case matches a new criminal mm-hmm. that's in your system and you're, like, rerunning and stuff and it right. didn't ping, I feel like that's fine. Like, criminals against criminals, gotcha. like, that's fine. But I feel like if you're... Actively searching through DNA that has no like they, reason to. Right. Or like they think it's me, so they go get Amelia's DNA. Like they yeah. follow her and get her, you know, what do they Pick do? Pick up movies? her coffee cup. Yeah, her cigarette butt. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's that that's too much. It. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I feel like I just it's I yeah, I don't know. Keep your name out. I also yeah. feel like with these, the, like the DNA sites, like you're submitting, you're yeah. willingly submitting your DNA to these companies. I feel like they can't do what I they feel want like with my they DNA. Should, yeah, I feel like they shouldn't be able to. Yeah. But if they are going to partner with 
the criminal mm. or criminal justice system, then I feel like and I'm sure they do, but I don't really know because I didn't. I don't read the terms of service or the fine print. I know. I just clicked agree. But yeah, <laughs> but I feel like they should say they that. Have to say, you. hey, by the way, yeah. there is a chance that your DNA could be utilized in a criminal mm-hmm. justice area. Right. That's fine. I so I was like, sure, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. I'm and I I accepted to like because when I did the in depth look at my yeah. gene, and at my ancestry stuff, um. I, I accepted for National Geographic to, like, do research on my DNA. So, oh, like, for okay. them to go, like, in-depth and, like, whatever. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because we are not murderers. Yeah. And, I mean, Allegedly. maybe in, maybe in 50 years, when the, if they decide they're going to clone my DNA and make that person a murderer, then that's an issue. Right. But I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if they use my DNA to catch criminals or if they use my DNA for research or whatever. Oh, well, that's good i just felt like it was shady yeah like, that is it is like would he have never been caught would he have gotten away with it if his son if his yeah didn't have didn't you know wasn't that past yeah yeah i don't know i don't know i also feel like maybe his son uh, not to say keep thank it going. you i need it, it going thank you um i also maybe and this is the whole debate between nature versus nurture right would he have gotten caught what <laughs> sure Creeping against the window. Oh, Bye, man. Sean. Bye. Um, would the whole nature versus nurture argument, but would he have gotten caught mm-hmm. if his son wasn't in the system? But was it would his son not have been in the system if his dad wasn't doing this? You know, it's like yeah. on all. I get that. Like, did you set yourself up for failure by being close to your son and doing this stuff? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, he set himself up for failure. He was murdering people. <laughs> but I don't know. No, I get you. Like, what do you, what do you have gotten caught if his son was in the system? But right, we don't know that because what was it a nature versus nurture thing where his son was just kind of following in his dad's footsteps? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I'm doing that. that thing where I explain it. I try and explain it to myself, and I confuse Making myself it, even more. And I'm like, I don't even know. Complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because yeah. I feel like it's a little. I it's don't a, know it's why very personal. it feels almost unconstitutional. It feels almost like you're, you shouldn't not be allowed to do that. But yeah. then on the other hand, you're fucking killing people. So sucks yeah. to be you. We're going to do whatever like we can. You kind of lose your people. constitutional rights to me. If you're taking away others, people, other people's constitutional All of rights. rights, like yes. legitimately completely wiping their constitutional <laughs> rights away because they no longer exist. Oh, man. I also, I do feel like, I do feel like, if it's criminal versus criminal DNA, mm-hmm. and it's in the it's in CODIS or whatever, mm-hmm. the, well, remember the like, DNA databases within the criminal justice system, and they match. Right. I feel like eh, you shouldn't have committed crimes if you didn't want your DNA to match to somebody else that could connect you to this cold case God or this burnt murder. I don't Look know. Look at you. I don't know. You mean it. I okay. You do though. I do. <laughs> I don't know. Like in Jamine when they got like. The brothers' DNA. Do you know? Remember that they got the brothers' mm-hmm. DNA off of pineapple the or pineapple. something? Yeah. I mean, it's on that. It's there. It's at that crime scene. Okay. Yeah. But if they had got the brothers' DNA, like five two, years later. Yeah, two years later at school, and then was like, "Oh, this matches the pineapple or something." 
I don't, that doesn't make I any feel, sense, yeah. but you know what I mean, yeah. right? I don't yeah. know. I feel like it's a little shady. It's. I think it's just such an... I mean, you know what's shadier? Murder. Yeah. Serial killing. Obviously, DNA is, like, not a new thing. It's been around since right. the beginning of time. But I feel like with uh, freaking DNA kits and, like, all mm-hmm. this new technology with DNA... The access we have to it. There, yeah. There's just so much that still hasn't been hammered out and there's still so it's like so yeah. many blurred lines that it's like I don't fucking know right I get that it's I get just, that and it's freaking everybody out <laughs> I'm freaking out it's freaking everybody I'm out I'm like don't take my spit <laughs> <laughs> don't take my coffee cup <laughs> I'm watching you um okay so on July 7th 2010 Los Angeles police arrest Lonnie David Franklin Jr. at his home in South LA in connection with these killings um a little later in 2010, Los Angeles police release 180 of approximately 1,000 pictures of women that they have found at his home. Um, the 180 that were released were women that they could not identify or yeah. place with missing, and they wanted to get those identified. They released them on Twitter and things like that. Just mm-hmm. do you recognize this missing? You know, if you know you're, you have a missing relative in this area at this time frame, um, Does your daughter look exactly like your great grandmother? Oh my god, <laughs> that'd be so scary <laughs> to like see those pictures just come across your Twitter feed because some person that you just followed because they post mm. good cat pictures retweeted it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's my daughter, but uh, it's like your great grandma or something. Right? Could Ugh. you imagine? That'd be so scary. I'd be like, I would shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, nope, not happening. Here we. Um. Okay. So despite. Lonnie David Franklin Jr.'s conviction and sentence of death in 2016. Some details remain unclear, like the question of whether he was truly sleeping during the alleged downtime because those pictures, the thousands of pictures, show women that um, were, quote-unquote, sleeping or sometimes sleeping in a car, could possibly be unconscious, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, There's no, like, this woman's dead picture, but it could they could be dead in some of them. Um, And they were taken... Throughout the entire time frame. There, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, there's just a few pictures or pictures from the first few years and pictures from the last few years, like when they found the bodies. Yeah. Um, and why did it take LAPD nearly 25 years to arrest the person responsible for the deaths of at least 10, possibly as many as 25 victims? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we know the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean. It's because they were very extremely high risk victims that Mm -hmm. in that time period, LAPD didn't give a shit about. That's right. Nobody gave a shit about, ultimately. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Was that George Bush time, 2008? Yeah. I feel like, was it? No. No. (laughs) When did Obama get elected? I don't know. Obama got elected in 2008. Okay. See? Yeah. I'm smart. I know stuff. Because I voted in the 2012 election. Was that your first one? That was my first one. Oh, my God. You fresh little baby button. I know. I love it. Um, yeah. That's, we know, we know why it took We know so long why, to get solved. yeah. And I, I'm not going to get, I did maybe go on a little bit of a rant about it. So, hey, you guys are lucky that we lost our last recording because we ranted about Momo for 15 minutes and then, and then we the ranted about of, of black people. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. So, um, we'll cut out our rants a little bit. Except you just got a rant about DNA. <laughs> Shit. It's one thing or another. Oh, there's you know no what? there's no off air with Emily and Patra episode without belches and rants. Basically. I didn't eat 
I didn't eat today, but I feel it's because I'm bloated from yeah. the weekend. Ugh. <sighs> ate everything this weekend. Um, across my okay, so when I was doing news this morning, yes. Um, I had to find a picture of a retired IMPD officer. Okay. A specific one? Yes, a specific <laughs> one. Um, and so I like just went to their website and I like looked mm-hmm. to see if they had it, but they didn't because he's retired and why would they still have it up? Um, and they like redid their website. First off, it looks really good. <laughs> but Shout that's out. besides the point. Um, there's they've got their request to do a ride along like posted and I, I was like I, you did too and I was like I started to fill it out and I was like no yeah let's and then, do it for but us. then we were sitting here doing it and I was like why wouldn't I do it like hello we've got a true crime podcast why the fuck wouldn't I do yes. it so I'll go finish okay filling good it out, and I'll have to leave I'll probably like leave early on a Friday or something but I'm like <sighs> so oh my god I'm gonna go ride along with the Indianapolis Metro Police Department oh my god officer. As long as I pass my background check. Ew. Which I should, so. You have to pass a background check? Yeah. I mean, they don't want you, so they don't want this criminal sitting next to this police officer. Well, like, how in-depth is this background check? What I think can it, you... it just said a light background check. Oh. So just to make sure that I don't have, like, warrants out for my arrest, Like, probably, probably a school field trip background check. Yeah. Okay, when I got um, my gun, because mm-hmm. I have a concealed carry permit, mm-hmm. when I got my gun, they do it. The place that I got it does a FBI background check. Mm-hmm. Like they check with the FBI and stuff. And he comes, this guy comes out. He reminded me of my grandpa first. Oh off. God! And he comes out and he goes. He hands me my license back and he's like, and my permit back. And he goes, FBI doesn't want you, so you're good. <laughs> I was oh like, oh well, that's good. <laughs> Even though I know I haven't ever done anything, that's like the most terrifying thing in the world. No, yeah. It's like when a police officer runs your license and when. These mm-hmm. people checking with the FBI to make sure you haven't done it. I'm like, oh. Well, what if there's, what if he puts the wrong number in? What yeah. if he transposes a digit and you're, I don't think I've arrested. said this here, but I've, I've, I think I've said it in one of our programming meetings. But my mom, when she was applying to get her nursing's license, like yeah. she had passed the board exams or something, it was some set where they had to do a background check mm-hmm. on her and they ran her maiden name, yes. not her married name. And there's somebody out there in the world with my mom's exact name and birth date. And that's crazy. She was a criminal and she came up and it was like, my mom's like, no, 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 no. That's not me. Oh like, my that's, God. that's not me anymore. Like, that's not me. Right. And they were and they're like, oh, sorry. And like, they do, redid it. And they're like, oh yeah, you're clear. But my mom, they were like, um, excuse me. You have like, I think she had like a warrant out for arrest and like, Arizona or oh something. Oh my god! And my mom's like, "No, I promise, it's not me." Wow. And they're like, "Oh, okay, sorry." <laughs> Your mom's name isn't super common. No, especially That's... her maiden name. Ooh, like not common at all. That's crazy. And so I might have been. I don't remember. It was mm-hmm. either like her maiden name or her married name, mm-hmm. and she. I don't remember, but she was like, "That is not not me. that one." Promise. <laughs> oh my gosh! Could so they imagine? had to do. I think she had to submit like some extra documents or whatever, and like. Like, geez, no this thanks. poor woman couldn't catch a break. No kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, it's crazy. That is crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. It is. I'm going to apply to do this ride along with an IMPD officer. Do it. We need to set one up with CPD. We will. I'll message him. And we'll just have a grand old time. Oh, my God. It'll be exciting. I also need to lose, like, half my body weight so I can just become a police officer. Do you have to be? I don't feel like you have to. I think you have to be a certain, like, you can't be over a certain 
Like just to get started? Yeah, just to get started. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna cut that part out. Oh, I got um I got a letter from Danielle on oh Friday night. Oh my gosh, night. yay. Oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah, was I miss the letter her a good? Lot. Yeah. Good. She was like, I told her about Childish Gambino winning a oh, Grammy oh, or something. And she's like, why the fuck did that happen? <laughs> I was like, well. But because oh. um, when I wrote her, it was like right after it happened. I mm-hmm. think it was, yeah, it had to have been right after the Grammys. And I wrote her and she's like, why did that? What? <laughs> she's oh, like real confused about it. And then she said, oh, shit. She was like, things are going well. She's like, I'm a lot better than I was. Um, it's really, really hard. And she goes, and I hate it. Mm. <laughs> She's like, I absolutely hate it. Um, and then she said the first cut, co- like the first week or so, a lot of the girls were really awkward. Cause they, I mean, they all shower together. And, right. You know, I mean, it, if you're not comfortable with seeing women's bodies or not comfortable with your own body, it's very, it's obviously yeah. a hard thing. So she's like, people were kind of awkward at first, but she's like, we all got over it. There's like 49 people I think with Oof. her. And she's like, I hate it. She's like, the food's not terrible. It's not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, um, I think that was really all she said. And she's like, tell me everything. And she goes, if you got engaged, wait until wait to tell me it in person. Oh, I, like, I read that out to Chris. Uh, He's like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, thanks. I was like, thanks. Oh my thanks. gosh. But I was like, yo, that's funny. The fact I that she said that. that in her first letter, she goes, if you get engaged, you have to wait to tell me in person, not in a letter. That's <laughs> I'm like, cute. Oh, Danielle. Aww. But she's doing good. Um, her boyfriend texted me a couple days ago and was like, she called him. She had a few minutes to call awesome. him. And he's like, she, he said, I said, how is she? Like, is she okay? And she's like, he's, she told him, she's like, yeah, I hate it. <laughs> she's like, but. I don't I mean, understand why good. anyone ever signs up for it. I am so. I, I need control. Yeah, I can't. And you I don't cannot, have any control. No, I cannot relinquish control. Yeah, I, I have. I've thought about it like a lot. My dad was in the Air Force, mm-hmm. and my grandpa could never be in the Air Force because he had he got polio when he was little, so mm-hmm. he's been handicapped ever since he was little. And I, so I've thought about it of like, but I'm just I am too emotional of a person. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, I yes. cry at the drop. I literally will cry <gasps> over spilled milk. I will. Oh my god! And I don't. I don't think I could do it. I know they break you down to make you tougher right. and like not so baby. But I mean, I would. They would be like, "You cry way too much. Get the fuck out." <laughs> so they wouldn't. I'll just try and become a police officer at some point in time. Yeah, I still have like ten years. I think there's a certain age yeah, limit that you can go 35. in. Five. Yeah, because. Uh, when I first started working here, I would joke that I just missed it. It's been a minute. Yeah. My I can't. My forever. mom. So I used to tell my mom because when I started school, I, going for graphic design, mm-hmm. it, my mom knew that that wasn't like what I really wanted to do. Is just I had to go to college, and that's what I was good at, right? And I was like, if this graphic design thing doesn't work out, I'm gonna become a police officer. Because after like through college, I like started mm-hmm. to realize that I really enjoy this stuff, and then. graphic designs was fine and I had jobs and stuff and then I went into radio and I was like if this doesn't work out I'm definitely becoming a police like I'll become a police officer but so far it's working out but so far it's working out I really want to be a police officer oh man so cool we need to work on this for you I know I have never felt that draw I'm also really I'm like it's one of those things so just going on so many tangents do it so, like, my dream job yeah. without actually, like, 
actively pursuing it is to own a bakery. Oh my like god! If, if a Do bakery, you bake well? Yeah. Oh. If a bakery was just to kind of like happenstance fall in my lap, right. I'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, let's do it. Okay. But I'm not going to go like actively pursue owning a bakery. All right. But my like active, my dream job, like that I will be disappointed if I, I'll be kind of disappointed if I'm laying on my deathbed and I don't do it is becoming a police officer. Oh my God. Emily, yeah. we need to work on this. Yeah. But I also like, I don't know. I want to do so many things with my life and I've only young. got one life to live. I'm only, I mean, I'm only 24. I've got, I could do so much, but. You could. Well, we need to work on the cop thing. And then we can go on ride alongs all the time. We can. Oh my God. So. I feel like I'm more likely to be arrested than to be a police officer. And always have been. <laughs> that is my lot in life. That's fair. Um, thanks for listening to this crazy whatever uh, what happened, happened episode. <laughs> I don't know. This is your occasional sauce is what it is. Oh, my gosh. It's occasional Your occasional sauce, sauce of complete and utter just <laughs> disaster. Lord. Um, I checked like about 12 times that we were recording this entire time. I did I was too. Like, I kept looking over there and I was like, man, did you really not check the whole last time? I feel like we didn't check. I Yeah. I feel like I just clicked a button and assumed that it was going and it was like. And we just ignored it and we just talked and talked. Yeah. I love us. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, fresh episode and we'll be back next week. Yeah. Toodles. Bye.